0: Hello and welcome to Digfinvox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiaseo. Before we begin today's program, please, sharing is caring. Like it, subscribe, follow the newsletter. All of these things help bring more people to the program. Our guest today is Sandy Pung. Sandy has worked for a securities regulator. She has been CEO of a mobile gaming company, but for the past five years, she has been the founding partner of Fission Capital. Fission is investing in blockchain projects through equity and through tokens. We spoke about what's happening in this space, what's going to be relevant for people in traditional finance, how traditional finance is getting into blockchain and particularly DeFi, what is DeFi, why it should be important, and what are the prospects for many of these projects going forward. Are we in crazy boom times? Let's see what Sandy has to say. Sandy Pung, welcome to Digfin Vox. It's great to have you on the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Yes, and thanks for joining us from, I understand you're in quarantine. I am indeed. This is my lovely quarantine hotel picture in the background.
0: Okay, great. Well, um, I'm sure you're keeping yourself busy. uh, And there's so much going on in this space that how could you not be? (laughs)
1: it's been an exciting time and it's good to kind of quiet down and focus on the essentials and catch up on work
0: great look you're the founding partner of fission capital you invest both in equity uh, and in token forms tell me a little bit about when do you invest in equity versus what you do with with token investments just to give us a sense kind of where blockchain investing is going right now
1: Um, That's a great question, James. Um, Typically, as investors, we don't really pick what form of um, investment. So what we care about is the team and the product they're building and the direction they're going in. Um, Sometimes when the company's clients are mostly institutions um, or other businesses, then it makes more sense for them to have an equity structure. And sometimes when it's more, um, you know, degen or decentralized than whether clients are individuals, then it makes more sense for them to issue a token. Um, but sometimes we're seeing mixture of the two. So sometimes companies set up an equity equity entity that holds some tokens that em- eventually might do a um, like a spark or some kind of acquisition and they might have a token aspect. So we're seeing, um, you know, more and more um, things in the middle, but it honestly depends on what the company is trying to do. We're agnostic as to which vehicle.
0: Okay. When you're investing as a, basically a, a venture capitalist, is investing in blockchain, if you're going the token route and you're going the project route, uh, is it the same kind of structure as a venture capital fund in just a, a pure private you know, private equity format, like we traditionally see in, in, in the Valley or other places?
1: Um, so I don't, I don't like to think of myself, ourselves as venture capital, um, because um, venture capital implies that we are early in a project stage, which is sometimes true. And it implies we act in a, we provide a certain amount of support for the team, which we do. Um, but we tend to be a, um, we we tend to do a lot. We do, we tend to get really really involved with the projects that 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 we take positions in. Um, most of the time because we we love the team and we really believe in them and we want to help out. And sometimes it's because by helping out you actually get to kind of learn more about the sector and it's good for you to make investment decisions. Um, so I think I think of ourselves as kind of like a. It's halfway between an incubation company and a investment company. But again, like we're, we're stage agnostic. Sometimes we get involved fairly later on.
0: What's the, uh, the way that you've, maybe, I don't know if you thought about it this way, but is there kind of like a plan in the, the projects that you take? Um, you know, you've, you've invested in uh, big uh, exchanges like BC Group and, and Holby. Um, as well as a raft of of token projects that are on the the Fishing Capital website. Um, Is there like a method to the badness? Uh, Do these fit in together some way? Or are you just looking, you just happen to find a a team that you really like, and it doesn't matter what the other investments are. You just go with these people because you like what they're doing.
1: Um, We're definitely seeing that we're being forced to be more and more agile. And we try to pick the projects that we enjoy working on um so there's so currently we we have a two prong approach so one of them is a kind of a mining strategy where um where we're mining the projects that we like and it's a very um it's a, it's a very like number driven thesis and well, on what the, does that mean
0: in terms of a mining strategy i just don't i don't quite understand
1: well it means um it means we have a team that's looking at the the best returns for, for our token like farming wise So APY, we look at um, TBL, some of these key metrics, and we figure out what's the best way of allocating our capital. So that's one strategy. And then there's another strategy where we're finding, we're trying to find long-term projects and projects that are important for the sector, no matter what. And these are the projects that typically would have very little competition because they're trying to tackle a very difficult problem. So for example, we're we're, we're spending a lot of time working on a Ethereum layer two project called Stroll. And um, and that's a very difficult thing to tackle because um, it involves like very, very complex math, And it's a problem that the Ethereum community desperately needs. And um, even though there are some very strong competitors in the world, um, I think there's room for lots of different solutions. And in the layer two landscape, I think there's a lot of false claims So um, I think whoever delivers like a very solid and um, safe um, solution um, and that that can scale will really help the process of expanding the Ethereum network, which which our house view is that, you know, Ethereum will eventually flip Bitcoin at some point, um, but it cannot do so without solving its scaling problem. So that's one example of a project that we're working on. and, and there's a few others, which are, I think, fundamentally important in moving the, moving the DeFi you know, narrative forward.
0: Okay. I want to talk a little more detail about some of those things. But before I do, I just want to kind of stay on, I guess, the way that you invest. You, know, you, you say you're not really a, a VC fund, but if I use that as a comparison or even an accelerator, there's going to be a timeline attached to that. You know, there's a fixed period um, for, for the, the fund, if you like, or the investment period, and then there's an exit. Uh, what is it like with what, what you're doing? Because Fission Capital is only a few years old, the space is so new. Um, do you think in those kinds of timelines that you, so you have a certain way to, to measure returns uh, and, and is there an exit strategy or, or are you just kind of making it as you go and, and well, you know, you figure these things out?
1: Um, I think we're, we're figuring things out and we're making it as a go. Like the times of raising a fund for seven years and committing to a single strategy, I think those days are gone. From
0: your perspective, you know what are some of the, the key things that people who work at banks, asset managers, and so on, uh, who are trying to get their head around everything, uh, what what do you think they should be paying attention to? What, what's going to be relevant for, for for their industry over the next you know months or or years?
1: Um, so I think that's a very big question. No. Um, I think you know obviously anything in the banking sector is being, you know, will be disrupted to some extent um, if they're not adding value to the same extent and velocity as some of the DeFi solutions. Um, But that's not to say they will be replaced. Um, I mean, it definitely makes sense for everyone to understand a little bit about what's happening in this world and participate in in whichever way, you know, they see comfortable because because from from where, where we're standing at, um, this wave is unstoppable, and um, and and it will basically um, f- solve a lot of the unsolved problems because the financial service sector that we see in Hong Kong is very focused on high net worth large companies, and you know even SMEs are not being sufficiently serviced. Like everyone knows how difficult it is for a small company to open a bank account. And, um, and that's just one of many problems, whereas the really big, um, big families and the big corporations have no that, you know, have a, are, are very, very well serviced. And, um, and I think DeFi is about filling in the gap, like, you know, servicing those who are smaller than the SMEs in Hong Kong, like individuals who have investment needs, individuals who wants to, um, you know, have banking and financial services. I think that's already, um, I think that's already, you know, being filled by, by a, an array of DeFi applications.
0: Um, What's that, what, what does DeFi bring to the space that, let's say, you know, outside of blockchain-based finance, you know, you've got, now we've got virtual banks that are also meant to be tackling these issues. You've got, um, you know, personal finance apps, robo-advisors, you know, there's a wealth of things that people can, can use uh, to, to try to uh, whether they're small businesses or individuals, to, to better manage their, their finances and get commission-free uh, service and so on. So,
1: you know, why, 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 why do we need DeFi? Um, that's a great question, James. I think um, all of the examples you named just now, I would classify as like a web 2.0 fintech companies. Mm-hmm. And they are definitely moving in the same direction as, as a lot of the DeFi projects. But what the, the the major difference between a web 3.0 financial, like fintech company, like DeFi, and a web 2.0, such as a robo-advisor or a, or a central bank, is that... Um, is that in the web 3.0 sector, startups can be a lot smaller in their infrastructure. Not every company needs a um, accountant. Not every company needs a back office. And there's a lot of these things that need to exist for for a FinTech company to exist, no longer need to exist anymore. And also it's much easier for these DeFi companies to collaborate with each other so that they don't need to replicate a lot of the work. Um, so when you see a large number of people working together and trying to fit in, it kind of becomes a um, an amorphous large organization, but it's not there to benefit any specific set of shareholders but there is value accrued within each individual project and they all contribute va- value to the wider network and ecosystem. So I think that's a conceptual difference. Um, that's, that's sometimes a little bit difficult to wrap your head around. But I think the the easiest, the, the clearest explanation I've heard about Web3 and Web2 is, um, is that Web3 applications um, tend to be more, um, Agile and collaborative, and um, yeah, and you can stand on the shoulder of existing giants um, rather than having to, you know, assemble a team, start from scratch, and do the do the normal start startup route.
0: Yeah, you you used to you did a little bit of time uh, earlier in your career at the Securities Futures Commission in Hong Kong, so mm-hmm. you're pretty familiar with regulation. Um, mm-hmm. Are we at a point where the DeFi world needs to think about regulation, or is it still at a stage where they just need to build the build the stuff, build the ideas, uh, and, and then work out how to, to fit into, um, uh, I guess, a regulated world?
1: There are two ways of going about. Like basically, in a in in any like common law country, there's there are very clear rules about what cannot be done, and as long as DeFi are not are not like stepping on these core principles of consumer protection and investor protection and it has the best interests of stakeholders in mind. I'm hoping that some of them will get a free pass Um, essentially a lot of the nature of what these DeFi projects are trying to do, they are financial in nature. And we are seeing some of the larger DeFi projects, once they've reached a certain scale or size, they're coming back to apply for financial licenses. So um, there are companies that apply for licenses first and then try and gain market share. Um, But we're also seeing companies that will build a large global DeFi presence and then apply for banking license and then apply for, um, you know, lending license or whatever is necessary for, for what they're trying to build. I think, um, I think it's great that the regulators, especially in the U.S. and in Hong Kong, is giving these innovative companies uh, a lot of room to explore. And um, yeah, and I think, you know, that, that's, a, that's a fantastic thing.
0: You, you're a backer of, uh, of some of the exchanges that we mentioned earlier at BC Holby. Um Those are centralized exchanges operating in the blockchain financial system. Uh, how, how well do they play with DeFi uh, providers? Are, are these gonna be quite distinct universes or uh, are they all in the same sandbox and are gonna be sharing the toys?
1: Um, That's, again, a great question, James. I think not every company needs to compete in the same arena. Like I said, there are companies focusing on to see clients, and there are companies focusing on to be clients. And to be, to me, is also a massive opportunity um, where not enough innovation and not enough teams are, are tackling because there's a very, very high Um, barrier to entry. So um, BC Group, as you mentioned, is one of those companies and they've amassed a um, a fantastic team and um, they've managed to solve some very, very complicated problems in in the regulated world, which I think will take a newcomer or even like a large internet giant a couple of years to build if they were to start now. Um, so that's that's a that's a fantastic moat to have in this market, and and that gives them a license to try and go after the two B businesses. And um, as we're seeing all these institutions moving into and becoming more and more aware of the um, the, the powers of the crypto sector. Um, I think um, BC Group is well positioned to be the first entry point, to be the gateway to the whole, you know, the magnificent universe that's being built um, in the blockchain world right now. Um, but their business is very unique. Um, they have um, they have um, insurance, they have um, custody, and they have SaaS solutions that will. That will have the potential of reaching you know millions if not billions of users through their partnerships with major commercial banks so um, so again like you know there's the 2b businesses which is very different in their dna and structure and then there's the 2c businesses which we expect to kind of move their tackle a little bit faster and innovate and respond to the market a little bit faster but both are super fun markets to play in
0: at the same time, we're seeing—I uh, guess on the retail side—we're seeing some pretty crazy activity. Um, uh, Dogecoin, now it's Shiba Coin, um, stuff that uh, I mean, to my mind, is 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 a little uh, a little loose and a little crazy. Um, uh, what do we what do we make of this? Um, you know, are are these? Is there something that that we need to take seriously uh, as as something that's um, you know, showing us a, a new way of doing business, or are these just kind of scams or or meme things that don't have the developer behind them? They don't have really meaningful, um, uh, you know, uh, you you know, use cases or or, or utility, uh, and they'll just at, at some point flame out.
1: Um, so I was having conversation with some of our um, some of our um, analysts today and um so we've personally shied away from all animal coins um, recently. <laughs> okay. um i mean by animal coins i kind of don't mean any coin that's named after an animal because the, there will be serious projects that decide to name themselves after animals because animals have been have this is a kind of a consensus social phenomenon and you know it's a great marketing play so when um when shiba was uh, when 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 Shiba Coin was first launched, it launched within a crypto community within a DAO, and it launched because as somebody's kind of thought experiment, and they airdropped a lot of the tokens to um, to group members. And similarly with Doge, um, it started off as a community token, and that shows the power of a community token. You know, when when there's very little influence from the founder, when um, when the power is released to a community and community does everyone works on their own and you know and sells the project to their friends and it's about and and this phenomenon shows us the the power that a decentralized organization like a DAO can harness and and that's very interesting to us um you know whether whether this will last I think some animal coins will gain mind share like some of them have already done I think it's been a kind of um, it's become a conversation, and the newcomers in this round will all remember some animal coins more poignantly than, say, Litecoin or maybe like Definity um, or Foulcoin. Um But you know whether any of these attempts at you know very complex technical problems like how how much comp- contribution do they really make in the future is still yet to be seen. So. Um, you know, it's, so I think it's very interesting. um, And, you know, perhaps we're a bit too, out of it or not degen enough to understand or catch all the animal waves. Um, Are you saying uh, we're
0: too old, Sandy? Don't say that, please.
1: (laughs) We're just fine, James. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're younger than me, but at any rate. (laughs) I'm being called a traditional blockchain investor. Oh, no, no. By by my doge holding friends.
0: (laughs) Turn it around and just say you're OG, that's that's cooler.
1: Yeah, sure, so I'm too OG to understand animal coins. But I can definitely see the attraction.
0: Okay. All right. Um, let's go back uh, to uh, to the Ethereum question. You were talking about some tokens that you're investing in there. This is uh, a, a big deal for for the community. I think um, you talked about can can Ethereum at some point overtake or flipping uh, you know Bitcoin in terms of its market cap and its its uh, its I guess its role in the the crypto world. Um, but Ethereum has had. Uh, For for years, ever since I've been, you know, uh, writing about this stuff, uh, the same problems around that transition it's trying to make from proof of work to proof of stake. Um, This involves, obviously, scale. Uh, The gas prices on ETH are incredible. It's hundreds of dollars just to to move something. Um, Also, there's the environmental problem with proof of work, which I think is becoming too too big to ignore for, for the Bitcoin world. Um, so it's 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 really important that Ethereum is able to you know to maybe make this switch. Maybe you can just explain a little bit about what, what's going on. Um, what is the the potential for for the Ethereum protocol? Uh, why why this is important? Uh, and and where do you see some of these other projects that that, that you're investing into help help make this this big shift?
1: Um... Sure. Um, a lot of blockchain protocols are already proof of stake. And, um, and we can see from those that, like you said, it doesn't have that mining proof of work problem, but it does have other problems. So, um, you know, Ethereum won't be the first proof of stake projects. There are, there are so many already. And, and the problem is that distribution becomes um, disproportionately concentrated in the hands of people with large assets or capital. So if I have more Ethereum, then I benefit disproportionately from from the proof of stake ecosystem. Whereas a proof of work, arguably is a fairer way of distributing um, token. And and that's why I think um, it will always have a place, like Bitcoin and proof of work tokens will always have a place. That's why um, Chia and all these POW coins have been so popular recently. Um, because it does happen, it does tend to like reach a much wider distribution, whereas for proof of stake tokens, um, the founders have to do a lot of work in terms of either selling at private sale or, um, you know, you know, or, or through Uniswap, Balancer, etc. And and distributing it that way takes time and the latecomers will have to pay a much higher price for, for token accrual, etc. Um, but Overall, I think you know it's going to be it's going to have a positive impact on the on the Ethereum ecosystem. Most of all, hopefully, because it will help Ethereum scale. Um, whether Ethereum 2.0 will happen that quickly, um, I'm not so sure. But I'm, I'm hoping that these you know brilliant people working at it will will, will sort it out soon.
0: Is it possible that that um, that other proof of stake networks? Um... Uh, you know, the likes, I guess, of like Solano or, or um, Polkadot or some of these other ones could, uh, that have been, that are younger, could, could end up taking that role instead? Or is Ethereum still, still the, the real game in town?
1: Um, so I think there are lots of really cool stuff being built on Solana. And, um, and Polkadot definitely has a very vibrant community and lots and lots of supporters. And there's a new wave of developers who were previously part of like EOS or part of some other, other um, public chain that's joining the Polkadot ecosystem. And similarly with Solana. So there's a lot of um, market hype with both of them. Um, but in terms of um, investment, I think it makes more like you know we, we like things that have a higher degree of certainty, and um, and to me there there is a possibility that Solana will become the um, will will become the um, you know the go to network for for, for 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 DeFi apps because it's so fast and. Um, you know, it's, it's got a lot of brilliant features. Um, but right now, I think the risk reward um, doesn't justify a, a huge investment. Okay. Um, but having said that, you know, we're, we're active, we're, we've invested in a lot of Solana um, Solana projects and they've all done super well. Um, so yeah, so we're very, um, you know, so we're observing very keenly um, how much TVL the, the Solana ecosystem can amass over the next, you know, couple of months.
0: Yeah, what what will differentiate, in your view, when you're looking as an investor, what will differentiate those projects or those teams that uh, will be around when, uh, at some point, the bull market disappears and we might have another bust?
1: Um, that's a great question. So we like founders who are very mission oriented. Um, so there are lo- there will always be lots of short term opportunities, um, especially during a bull market, but we tend to pick founders who have a very spef- like a very niche expertise in a particular area or their past experience gives them the right to win within a um within a within a category that will very be very difficult for somebody else to compete with them. Um, so these are the founders that we like and um and, and we tend to kind of um back them as well as like provide all of our resources to make sure to increase their chance of succeeding just that little bit.
0: Great. Right. Sandy Pung, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Um, Thanks for dialing in from your your quarantine room. (laughs) And uh, uh, look forward to, uh, so, you know, good good luck with your travels and your work. And look forward to being able to connect with you in the real world uh, offline at some point in the near future.
1: Thank you, James. It's a pleasure being here.